it being the start of the uh, of a new term there's lots going on plenty to tell you about uh, we're beginning a new series two-part series can you pop the first slide up for me called invest and invite i wonder if you ever ask yourself the question am i making a difference in the world around me do you ever think about that is what i'm doing from day to day something that has any great purpose or significance or influence. Here's a story you may have heard before. I'm not quite sure where it comes from. It's sort of one of those stories that you hear banded around. Um, I don't know if it was actually true or just made up to make a point, but it's a great story. It's a simple story. It's about a traveler who came upon three brick masons who were busy doing the craft that they uh, do, putting bricks up. And he asked the first one, hey, what are you doing? And the first one looks up and gives a bit of a scowl and says, can't you see what I'm doing? I'm laying bricks. What does it look like? Now, don't bother me. I've got another hour before my shift ends. So he goes to the second guy who's doing the same job, and he says, hey, what, same question. What, what are you doing? The second guy's answer is a bit different. He says, well, I'm helping to build this wall, and we're in a hurry, and we've got to lay a whole other full row before the end of our shift. And so he goes to the third guy, and he asks him the same question again. What are you doing? The third guy responds a bit differently. He says, well, he looks up and he says, I'm building a cathedral. And it's going to be incredible. And it's going to stand for centuries with many people coming and gazing in awe. And even after I'm gone, my legacy will, be to, will have been to have been part of creating something absolutely extraordinary. All three of these guys are doing the same job, but they're doing it with a different perspective and a different motivation. And only the last one really gets what this really is about, that his investment of time and energy is going to have this enormous benefit in the future and I wonder if in our quieter moments some of us ponder on these big questions what am I really here for am I why am I on the earth anyway am I leaving a legacy that's going to last beyond my lifetime and those questions come into perspective if we know and love Jesus because when we know and love Jesus we begin to understand that his story is bigger than ours and that to follow him is to look beyond ourselves beyond our own lives beyond the day-to-day busyness and to see hope and freedom and transformation come about in people and communities, just like the, opportunity, the example that we've just been talking about and showing. Whether you believe in Jesus or not, and by the way, if you're here and you don't believe in Jesus, you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, you're still very, very welcome. We're really glad you're here. And I trust that this talk will be informative and interesting for you. But whoever, whatever you believe, hardly anyone can argue with the fact that when you look around us in society, people are struggling. The stats on mental health alone are frightening. I was reading some yesterday. One in six adults has experienced a common mental health problem, anxiety or depression. One in five adults, this is recent stats, have considered taking their own life at some point. And they're even worse for the emerging generation. And we here at Winchester Vineyard, well, we believe that with Jesus we can do something about that. Our vision is quite straightforward. It's to get to know Jesus better and to bring hope and life into our communities in all kinds of creative and fun ways. We are an organisation of people who do not simply exist for our own benefit, but for the transformation of the world, and specifically the the bits of the world that we have influence over, that that we're called to. Transformation with the power of the gospel of Jesus to bring about the kingdom of God. That's a funny phrase, kingdom of God. What do I mean by that? It sounds kind of epic and old-fashioned, maybe a bit Game of Thronesy. Apparently, I've never watched that show myself. But um, I, mean, I mean, by the kingdom of God, I mean the times and places where the power and the presence of God is demonstrated here on earth. 
sometimes supernaturally, sometimes through our own, own actions. The, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, it describes what's happening when God's rule and reign comes to bear. When, you get, when we get a glimpse of the final future, when we understand that God isn't far away like some would have us believe, but he's, as Jesus declared, at hand. The kingdom of God is near. It's close. And when we gather like we have this morning and we call to him often, as we have this morning, he comes and we sense his presence. I have this little role I do a couple of, once every couple of weeks. I go into the city and I um, wear a little badge called City Chaplain. And I go and I chat to people who are working in Winchester in the shops. And there's a particular um, set of uh, shops that are on my patch. And I go and I try and get to know the staff there. And I just speak to them and I try and encourage them. Um, and I'm there to be a listening ear if anybody would like it. And there's one guy who doesn't work in the shops, but he's often around in the city centre, and I meet him often. Um, he chats to quite a lot of people. And uh, I was chatting to him one day, and, and to be honest, he's a pretty, pretty uh, negative guy. And uh, I was chatting to him one day, but he, he's, he's quite upbeat, but when you actually talk to him, he's quite downbeat. And um, I was talking to him, and realised that something was going on for him. He was really, really fed up and he had a big problem and he was full of it really. And the problem was that he'd been kicked out of his house and he didn't have anywhere to go. And he was really fed up. He didn't have anywhere to live. He didn't really have the money to get anything together. And uh, the relationship he was in had broken apart and he was in a really, really bad way. And I I sort of said, well, mate, I I can't do much, but I could pray. Would you like me to pray for your situation? And he was like, oh, I don't really believe in all that stuff. And I said, well, you know, why don't I just pray for you anyway, just for a second. It won't take long. You don't have to have any faith. I'll just have the faith. So I prayed for him, and I prayed that God would sort the situation out. I didn't really think much more of it. I was back in town two or three weeks later. This all happened just before the summer. I was back in town two or three weeks later, and I, I saw him, and he was like, Oi, oi, you! I was like, what? <laughs> what have I done now? And he said, you'll never believe it. You know, you, you prayed for me, and the very next week, somebody offered me a place to live. And I was like, wow. He was, he was absolutely full of it. He made the connection. He made the connection. So I, don't, I still don't believe in all that stuff, but flipping it, something happened. I said, great, what do you want me to pray for now? <laughs> what else do you need to do? He went, God bless you, mate. Like this. As he shook my hand. For someone who doesn't believe in it, I thought that was quite funny, really. Um, we're at the beginning of a new term with some great opportunities, both in church and out in our communities. And Joe and I, we, we were praying before the summer and we asked God, you know, what is on your heart for us this term? What is it that you want to say? What is it that you want to do here in our midst? And as we were praying, we felt really strongly that, that for these two words, investing and inviting. Now, this is, it's a simple, catchy phrase. It's alliterative. But it's more than that. You see, the thing is, we believe that God wants more of his kingdom in our midst. We want, believe that he wants to connect with more people. We believe he wants more people to meet with him, um, both through our church uh, when we're out scattered and in our church as and when we are among our church when we gather here at the weekend. So whether we're gathered or scattered, we really believe that God wants more of his kingdom to come. And one way for us to get to that is by investing and inviting. Both of these words are really key and have really important connotations for the kingdom of God. So we want to look at what the Bible has to say, and today I want to look at the word invest. The definition of an investment is, uh, to invest something, is to devote one's time or energy or money to a particular undertaking with the expectation of a worthwhile result. Just ask yourself this question, or if you can do it quickly, turn to your neighbour and tell them, what is the best investment that you ever made?
What is the best investment you ever made? Maybe it was a product, that, something that you bought that just lasted for like years and years and years. Or maybe it was a product that you bought that just changed your whole life completely. It radically changed what you did. I remember when I was a kid when we bought a microwave for the first time. And we all sat there and watched the potatoes going round in the microwave thinking, wow, you can cook a potato in five minutes or six minutes. Amazing. Maybe it's your coffee machine. I don't know, whatever. Or is the best investment you ever made some time that you spent acquiring a skill or learning something that's made, learning a, a, a skill that's made a massive difference in your life? For me, I was partly chosen, partly forced to have piano lessons as a child. Actually, it was the best investment I ever made. Well, one of the best investments I ever made. I love, loved music all my life, you know. Or maybe the best investment you made was a relationship which has lasted a long time and proved to be life-giving to you. You know, friendships grow when there's a real investment of time and honesty, when we make a choice to be real. Or you could flip that question around the other way and say, who, what was the best investment that was made in you? Who invested in you significantly to help you get to the place where you are today? Who's invested in your life? Was it parents? Was it family? Was it church leaders? Was it older, wiser Christians? Certainly was for me. You may not use the language, this word invest, you may not use that kind of language, but all of us make decisions all the time about investments. We're always weighing up the cost of something, be it a cost in money or a cost in time and energy, as against what the expected results are and whether or not the sacrifice is worth it. We're always doing that. You know, if you choose to spend money on a product, you're going to be thinking about, is this really going to be worth it? You know, if I go out and buy an item of clothing, I'm thinking to myself, number one, well, actually, I'm not usually very much, but I should be, will it match my existing wardrobe sufficiently? Will it last for a long time? And more, perhaps more importantly, will it stay in fashion? Or will it even be in fashion? I don't know. Um, you know, when we go and buy shoes for our kids, we're like, are they going to survive the sort of being slipped off and slipped on and playground football all the time? You know, how, how long is this stuff going to last? When you make a decision to spend time and energy on something, again, we're always thinking, is this going to be worth it? Is this a good decision? Is it worth, if I, if I put this time in to learn, for example, if I, start, if I get trained up in a sport or I learn a musical instrument, am I ever going to get to a good enough standard to be able to enjoy it? Or maybe it's a friendship or relationship. If I make this investment, if I go deeper, if I do something that costs me, if I share something with somebody who I don't necessarily know very well, is that going to pay off? Is it going to take our relationship deeper? We're always asking questions how about the time and energy and money that we invest and what the benefit is to ourselves and also what the benefit is to others. How do we measure that value? You know, if you were to choose to spend your Christmas day serving lunch to somebody who wouldn't otherwise get any lunch or wouldn't have any to be with, what would be the payoff for you and what would be the payoff for them? What, is it worth the investment? Is the cost worth the benefit? And many of us invest time and energy on behalf of others because we make a judgment, we make a decision that the return that we're going to get or that somebody else is going to receive is going to be worth it. Actually, I think that investing in others is investing in the kingdom of God. Or maybe I should say it the other way around. Investing in the kingdom of God often looks like investing in others. 
Sometimes it's those we might choose to give our time to, and sometimes it's those that we might not, in normal circumstances, choose to give our time to. I know you're thinking, this is a great lecture, Nigel, but what about the Bible? Here we go. Jesus told two parables. They're very short, and I've reproduced them for you. One's here, and one's on the next slide on the screen. This is one verse in Matthew. Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. The kingdom of heaven, Jesus says, is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, he went and sold all he had and bought the field. Why would you bury treasure in a field anyway? It was a culturally common practice to do back in Jesus' time. People would rather avoid, uh, would bury their treasure to avoid the corrupt bankers and moneylenders. Jesus is not saying in this parable that you can buy the kingdom of heaven or that it's a good idea to bury things. But he's saying this is a story about how the treasure was of such immense value, so precious, that joyfully the man decided to just sell everything else he had in order to go and get the treasure. And if you continue to read, I mean, can, sorry, before I get to that, can you imagine, I mean, it's only a story, but take the story on a bit. Can you imagine people's reaction as this guy literally goes around town selling his clothes and selling his possessions and selling his house and they're saying, what are you doing this for? And he says, I'm just going to buy that field over there. And then people are going, well, what's that about? What does he know that we don't? But he does know something. He knows about the value of that field. He knows that it's worth making the investment. And the next verse is another story which you may have heard. It says again, Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and he sold everything he had and bought it. And in many ways, it's a similar story. It's making a similar point. One difference between the two stories is that in the first one, the guy came across the field. And in the second one, the merchant seems to have been searching for the pearl. He seems to be some kind of an expert and he's spent his life searching for that elusive pearl of incredible value, of incredible price. The key point in both stories is that each man found something of such incredible value and worth that he literally decided that he was on the spot going to sell everything he had in order to get that one thing. In other words, whether you're searching for something or not, When you find something of incredible value, it's worth making a great sacrifice for. It's worth the cost. It's worth the investment. And here's a quote from a guy called Charles L. Allen. The climax in both these stories is the eagerness with which each possessed their discoveries. Each, when he made the discovery, went and sold all that he had. Each did it joyfully. Neither felt he was making any sacrifices, really, because the treasure he was possessing was worth so much more than what he had to offer for it. But they just didn't hesitate. Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like that. Once we see what it's worth to have God in our hearts, to have his spirit empower our lives, to follow his will, we realize that no matter what the cost, we want God above and beyond all other things, all things else. So I've got three questions. I've got four, really. What's this treasure, what is this treasure worth investing in? What is the cost of this investment, and how do we know we'll get a worthwhile return? And my fourth question is, what does this mean for me? Let's look at the first one. What is the treasure worth investing in? Well, simply put, it's God. More specifically, it's relationship with God. 
I'm going to use two long words now. Here's a warning. The wonderful and incredible thing about the God that we worship and serve is that he is unlike any other deities or gods that we hear about anywhere else. He is both transcendent and imminent. I'm going to explain what those words mean. God's transcendence means that he is almighty, all-powerful, all-knowing, bigger than everything else. He transcends time and space. He's majestic in his hugeness, the creator of the heavens and earth. He's awesome and some. I just made that up. That was good, wasn't it? I didn't even write that bit down. And yet the incredible thing about God is that as well as having that transcendence, he's also imminent. In his imminence, he comes really close. He gets right up and personal. He comes right into our ordinary, ordinary everyday lives, loves us and relates to us as individuals as an incredible loving father. You could say he's like a great big God who holds us in his hands. But you might not want to. <laughs> Some people I know wrote a song about that once. Connecting with God is a wonderful thing. And if you've ever had the feeling of complete and utter peace that comes when the Holy Spirit is present. Have you, ever had, have you ever experienced that sense of love, his love, filling you from top to toe, washing away the rubbish and the dirt from your life? Have you ever had the joy of being caught up in praise, knowing that I'm just something, I'm, I'm part of something that is so much bigger than anything I could ever imagine? I'm living an exhilarating and adventurous story. If you've never experienced God's presence for yourself like that, then we would, we would love to pray for you today. I can promise you there's nothing like that. There are plenty of people here who have, and they would consider that to be treasure of the highest worth. The treasure is knowing him and being known by him and knowing that you're known by him and knowing that you're never alone. And if you already know that stuff, then the treasure is being part of helping other people experience that same kingdom of God presence. Seeing God break through into other people's lives. How many of us have had the privilege of praying for someone and seeing God touch them, do something? A bit like I spoke about earlier with that guy in his house. What a wonderful and incredible privilege to be able to introduce people to Jesus. And to see God connect with those who are really in need. We were on holiday and we were out on, in the Cotswolds and we were out on a bike ride. Um, and we, were, we just got our, some of our bikes and we'd hired a couple and we were just going around with the kids. And we, we pulled into this sort of area and there was one guy sitting on a bench there. And we were like, oh, we'll just stop for a minute. Uh, and then we'll carry on. And, and Joe got talking to this guy. And uh, he didn't look very well. And she got, I don't know what happened. She got talking to him. And basically it turned out that his arm was really hurting. And uh, he was in some pain. And so, of course, Joe says, well, can I pray for you? And uh, the guy says, well, yes, okay. So Joe prays for him. And all of a sudden, you know, he went, what's that? What are you doing? And he could sense God doing something in his arm. And what was it? It went from a seven. To a seven? Okay. Out of, if the pain was seven out of ten, it went from a, from a seven to a three, and then from a three to a zero when she prayed the second time. And I didn't even really know this was going on. I was sort of around the corner wondering why we weren't moving on. And, um, and the kids were sort of buzzing around on their bikes. And they went, oh, mum's just praying for somebody. <laughs> what a privilege to see the kingdom of God breaking out and to see this guy get healed. The treasure is more of the kingdom operating in and around us. 
Some people call that revival, renewal. Some people call it seeing God break through. Some people call it the kingdom. That's the treasure that I'm hoping for and praying for and living for. And Jesus said it's a treasure of immense value and it's so valuable that it's worth the cost. So the second question is, what's the cost? And that's a bit of a trick question in a way because in one way it's nothing and in other ways it's everything. The cost of accepting Jesus into your life is a simple step of faith. An acknowledgement that I can't do this on my own, that I want to accept Jesus' offer of a different kind of life where death pays for my sin and frees me to live for him. So where his death pays for my sin and frees me to live with him. I can't earn that kind of salvation. It's given to me. There's nothing I can do to make that happen other than just come to Jesus. It's a free gift. It's grace. So technically it doesn't cost me anything. But in order to do that and to get to that place, I do have to make the brave decision to surrender to surrender the control of my life over to him. If you like, to take to get out of the driving seat and get the keys and hand them to him and say, right, you drive now. To, take, to let him take control. To let him make some of the decisions. And in some ways, that's going to cost me everything. Somebody said this, if, you, if and when you do find the treasure, its value to you will eclipse everything else in your life. Jesus doesn't promise health, wealth, prosperity for all who follow him. He doesn't promise a comfortable life or or a glittering career. He doesn't promise a trouble-free marriage or a perfect family. He doesn't promise a shed load of money or a cozy retirement. But he does promise adventure, relationship, and ultimate fulfillment that comes from a lifetime of being in his presence and investing in his kingdom. It's not that there's anything inherently wrong with any of those things. Money, possessions, success, career, they all have value. They all have value in their own right, but they're secondary to a pursuit of Jesus. Because Jesus says in the Gospels, in Matthew, he says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all the other things will be given to you. They'll be added to you. So it's about us submitting our plans and our dreams to his will. Genuinely being ready to let go of our own desire. When we do that, we find that he can use our dreams and our desires often for his own purposes. So this is all about an attitude of heart. The cost of seeing more of God's kingdom is to put him and his values first. To let go of control, to surrender. Ultimately being ready to die to ourselves and live for him and his purposes. We kind of need to be ready to pay anything or everything. Jesus said in Luke 9, 23, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it and whoever loses their life for me will save it. And Jesus wasn't asking us and isn't asking us to do anything he hasn't already done himself. He's our example and our role model in this regard. He was prepared to pay the ultimate cost and give up everything for us. He kind of expects us to do the same. And often what makes the Christians distinctive in any community is the way in which they put the needs of others first. Spending time and energy and money, especially to help those who are poor and marginalized and suffering. You know, we have a street team who goes out every Saturday night and feeds people. 400 in the year, they've 
encountered. They could be watching Strictly. But then there's always a cost. But the cost doesn't come close to the cost that Jesus paid. And thirdly, how do we know that we're going to get a worthwhile return for the cost that we're paying? How do we know it's worth it? And ultimately, of course, there's always going to be a degree of faith in this exercising here. But Jesus promises life. He promises kingdom adventure, his incredible presence and his peace, as well as the assurance of an eternal future. He says in John 10, I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. That's life. And I love this passage from Romans. I've written it out. It's quite a lot of words. I think that's quite good, don't you? This resurrection life you receive, this is from the message. I've read this to you before, but I love it. This resurrection life you receive from God is not a timid, grave-tending life. It's adventurously expectant. I love that phrase. Adventurously expectant, greeting God with a child like, what's next, Papa? God's spirit touches our spirits and confirms who we really are. We know who he is and we know who we are, father and children. And we know we're going to get what's coming to us, an unbelievable inheritance We go through exactly what Christ goes through. If we go through the hard times with him, then we're certainly going to go through the good times with him. There is the promise of life when we invest in God's kingdom. He promises adventure and relationship and the ultimate fulfillment of real life. And life with Jesus is so much more rewarding and and exciting. And it doesn't really stop there because then there's a promise of eternal life too. And one of the Bible verse, Jesus says, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and rust and vermin will destroy and where the thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin don't destroy and where thieves don't break in and steal. For there, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus talks about how every kingdom action we take has the effect of storing up treasures in heaven. That means everything we do to invest in the kingdom, in our love for God and our love for others, has eternal consequences. We could die rich down here and it wouldn't really make that much difference to him. We can't take any of it with us. But we could die poor here and yet be incredibly rich in God's eyes. Because the rewards for investing in God's kingdom are eternal. Sometimes we see them and sometimes we don't. Now, John Wimber is the guy who started the Vineyard Church, and he told a brilliant story. This guy was in the 60s. He was a musician. He was not a believer. Nothing, had nothing to do with church all his life. And his career was just taking off, and he just signed up to record an album with a band as a kind of producer. Um, the band was called The Righteous Brothers, and they ended up going on and becoming really famous. Okay? But at the time that he just got into that project... Um, was the time that God really met with him and he made a decision to follow Jesus. Radical conversion. And for John, it isn't the same for everybody, but for John, he felt like God was inviting him to give up his music career, to lay everything down and put the whole thing aside. And so he basically did that and he needed a job. And the only job he could get was cleaning out oil barrels in a car lot. Okay, And the only way that he could do the job was to climb inside the oil barrel to clean it out. And so he tells this story about how one day, because he couldn't get any other job to feed his family, he couldn't work as a musician because he just felt like God had said not to do this. He was standing there and he was cleaning out the oil barrels and a record company exec comes up in a big fancy car and he gets out and he's got this bit of paper that John has to sign to basically sign his life away. And he looks at John and he says, who did this to you, man? And John says, God did this to me. 
And the guy goes, well, I don't get that. But anyway, this is your last chance. You either sign, if you don't sign, you, you sign this, or you, you know, if you, want to, if you don't want to go down this route, don't sign. But if you do, you have to sign everything away. And John signs the piece of paper on top of the car and carries on with life. And he doesn't know at the time that God is going to give him an incredible ministry, that he's going to go and plant a church, that there's going to be a worldwide worship phenomenon that happens because of vineyard records and vineyard music. None of that he knew at the time. All he knew was God's told me I've got to stop that and make the sacrifice and pay the cost. In many cases, we do get to see something of what our investment leads to, and then sometimes we just don't. You know, in a couple of months before the summer here, two different times people came to church and they came to the front and they made, for the first time, a decision to follow Jesus. Isn't that phenomenal? And we, some of us got to be there and it happened directly as a result of other people bringing them to church. We'll talk about inviting next week. Everyone who was here on those days, who served, who made the coffee, who did the welcome, who put the cones out, who ran the kids, who did the worship, everybody who was here had a part of investing in God's kingdom such that these two people were able to reap a reward. You may not ever meet those people or know them, but there is an incredible blessing which comes when we make a kingdom investment. So what does this mean for us? What might this cost us? You know, we heard from Johnny and Beth last week who made the decision to live miles and miles and miles away, right across the other side of the world, and give up a whole load of stuff. And we heard a little bit about what God is doing through them. We've just heard from our three discipleship year students, our interns, who've made the decision to give up pretty much half of their working week every week for the next year in order to invest time and energy and money. They could be pursuing careers. They could be doing all sorts of stuff. But no, they want to serve God and make a kingdom investment. It might not be traveling overseas or giving up your job, but if you ask God what he wants you, where he wants you to invest your time and energy and money, I know that he'll make it very clear. Perhaps you already know that. Joe's reading quite a challenging book right now. It says that every one of us has 168 hours in every week. We might work for 50 of them and sleep for 56 of them, and that still leaves 62 hours. And how are we choosing to use the rest of those hours? It's quite a challenge. She's filling in a timesheet. We'll tell you what happens. <laughs> Four quick headlines I want to flash away before we finish. One thing, prayer. How hungry are we for God's kingdom to come? What would it look like if many, many more people came to our church and met with Jesus than do currently now? How hungry are we for that? How many communities does he want to impact through the people who come to church and meet God here? What's the value of that kind of treasure? And, how, and would we consider investing some of our own time and energy into fasting, as Chris talked about a few weeks ago, and praying for our friends who don't know Jesus? Paul was at an incredible conference in the summer and encountered a group of teenagers who were basically committed for the whole week to sleep for four hours and spend the rest of the time fasting and praying over three days. Four hours a night, three days. That's when they slept. The rest of the time they, pr- they prayed. That's right, isn't it? And Paul was blown away by what happened because as they prayed and cried out to God for their own friends, for their own peers, God really met with them powerfully, powerfully. Paul said he's never seen anything like it. Are we prepared to give up some time and energy to just invest in the kingdom? A couple of weeks' time, we're going to hold a 48-hour prayer war where we each take an hour to pray. You can do it here or you can do it at your home or wherever. 
and we ask God's kingdom to come. There might be a cost to that, especially if you choose the 3 a.m. slot. <laughs> praying for five friends. Like, men, like us, many of you are praying for friends who are not saved, praying regularly. Just keep investing. Sometimes it feels like a chore, but the Bible says there's a, there's a worthwhile value to every investment we make. Sometimes it's really hard to measure. Neighbouring. And relationships. Are we investing in relationships? We met some new neighbours this week and offered to come. Uh, well, we didn't offer. We we're just going to make them a cake and go and say hi. And we're just chatting to them. It's just a, it's just a nice thing to do. It's just a neighbouring thing to do. Do we know the names of the people who live around us? Do we know about their lives and what's going on in their lives? Enough to have a, you know, a meaningful conversation. If you're part of this church, investing time and energy in, serve, in, in some of the teams that make church happen. You know, we, this isn't a case of Joe and I and a few people, we just kind of make everything happen around here. We, we want to be the kind of church where everybody gets stuck in. Everybody gets stuck in. We want to be the most friendly and the most welcoming church anybody's ever stepped inside. We want people to be blown away with our hospitality so that they would love to come back. We have wonderful teams right across the church. And if you're part of that, thank you and God bless you. We have wonderful teams who welcome people and inside and out and serve great coffee and um, invest in the life of our children and smile and welcome people and if you're not yet on one of those teams we would love you to get involved there's a challenge for you and lastly if you've uh, well if you've decided that this is your church then I want to encourage you from moving you've heard me say this before moving from being a guest to being a host you can be a guest or a host. If you're still a guest, if you're still figuring out if this is where you're meant to be, then God bless you, spend as much time as you need. But if you've already decided that this is where God has called you, this is the church God wants you in for this season, then I'd love to encourage you to make that transition from being a guest to a host. Get involved in welcoming somebody else, one way or another, helping to make it happen. And I mentioned money earlier, and uh, after church we're going to hear from the trustees, just some feedback on the accounts from last year. And any questions you've got. And the truth is, just between you and me, um, budgets are quite tight this year. Our ongoing budget, we did really well last year, but our ongoing budget is tight. I'm not telling you this to make you feel bad or twist your arm. God is certainly big enough to deal with this. One of the reasons it's tight is because we're squeezed, because so much money has been given into our building fund. And by the way, I'm delighted to tell you that we've appointed some builders this week. And we should see some action, some building work happening um, sometime in October, starting sometime in October. Which is great news. And again, we'll tell you more about that after church if you've got any questions. You've already been incredibly generous on that score. Many of us have given sacrificially. Just like the many people who gave sacrificially in the past 20 years to make this place what it is now so that we could all come and meet with God here today. So if you consider yourself as part of this church and you haven't yet taken the opportunity to prayerfully look at your own finances and say, what can I give? What is God inviting me to give? Then I would love to invite you to do that or challenge you to do that. Not because I'm here to twist your arm, not because the church is after your money, but because when you give cheerfully, God blesses a cheerful giver and because there is a worthwhile result in making a kingdom investment, be it of money or of time or of energy. So just to sum up what I've said, when we choose to invest in God's kingdom, there is always a worthwhile return on our investment. It's incredibly valuable. It might cost us time and energy and money, but it's totally worth it. And today I really just wonder if God is inviting us at the start of this new term to make an increase, to step up in our investment. 
be it an investment of whatever. Just, I would love us to, why don't we stand together? And, you know, we've caught sight of what the treasure is. We've become aware of what the cost might be. The question now is, Holy Spirit, what is it that you're calling us to do and how should we respond? And I'd just love you to make that your prayer and your question to the Holy Spirit. How should I respond? It might be like stepping up a staircase, which is, you know, takes effort. It might be like stepping into a lift and God just takes you up. But Holy Spirit, would you show us now, how is it you want us to respond to this? What investment do you want us to make in your kingdom today? Lord, show us if there's something that we need to do. If you're, if you're, if you're asking for a greater investment of time or energy or money, may this be the, the conviction of the Holy Spirit and not any words from me. But Lord, would you come and by your Spirit would you speak? Would you speak, Lord? We welcome your presence. We thank you for all that's gone before. And we invite you again. Show us how you'd have us respond today, Lord Jesus. Show us how you'd have.